Long before James Cameron developed breakthrough filmmaking technologies, voyaged to the bottom of the sea, collected various award statues, and obliterated box office records to become the self-proclaimed king of the world, he was just another struggling director trying to get through his first Hollywood feature. The acclaimed 1984 sci-fi thriller The Terminator launched a franchise and boosted Arnold Schwarzenegger to stardom, but actually making the movie was almost tougher than traveling through time. Come with me if you want to live. And find out what the fuck happened to this movie. James Cameron was a gifted artist from an early age, and in his 20s was inspired by movies like 2001 A Space Odyssey and Star Wars to break into the film business. By the early 1980s, he was applying his artistic talents at B-movie producer Roger Corman's company, working on models, art, and effects for movies like Battle Beyond the Stars, Galaxy of Terror, and Escape from New York. Around this time, Cameron got his first opportunity to direct a feature film on the low-budget sequel Piranha 2 The Spawning, taking over for the first director who was fired by the movie's Italian producer. But after just a few days of further disharmony on the set, Cameron met the same fate as his predecessor. The producer, who Cameron would later refer to as Fuckwit, took over shooting the film, including, perhaps not coincidentally, all the scenes of topless women. After buying his own ticket to Rome to see a rough cut of the very movie he had been dismissed from, Cameron was not especially pleased with the end result, which he later called the stupidest idea in the history of flying piranhas. He tried, unsuccessfully, to have his name removed from the picture, but learned it could not contractually be delivered with an Italian name as director. Much to his dismay, he was stuck with Piranha 2 on his filmography. But there was one benefit from the otherwise miserable experience. While in Italy, broke and alone, Cameron became ill from exhaustion and had a fever dream that gave him one particularly memorable image, a skeletal metallic figure emerging from a fire. That nightmarish vision became the foundation of what would evolve into The Terminator. Once back in Los Angeles, Cameron's idea expanded from a John Carpenter-inspired slasher with sci-fi elements into an elaborate story of a futuristic soldier sent back in time to protect a young woman whose unborn son would eventually play a critical role in saving mankind. The initial outline actually involved a pair of cyborg assassins with a liquid metal machine dispatched to the past after hero Kyle Reese eliminates the first robotic hitman. Cameron thought he could use a chrome-covered claymation technique and other camera trickery he picked up from his low-cost Corman career to achieve the effects for the liquid villain, but he ultimately streamlined the story to a single standard cybernetic antagonist, at least until years later when the technology caught up with his imagination. After Cameron's agent ridiculed the sci-fi concept and was summarily fired for the dissenting opinion, Cameron found a supporter and collaborator and future wife and ex-wife in Gail Ann Hurd, who was also working for Roger Corman at the time. Hurd agreed to produce the film, and Cameron sold her the rights for one dollar with the understanding no one else would be allowed to direct. That foresight would prove to be a blessing and a curse. The duo pitched The Terminator around Hollywood as a low-budget, guerrilla-style production. Studios were interested in the strong sci-fi script, but not the unproven director attached. After so many rejections, eventually they wound up at Orion Pictures, where another pair of Corman alumni, Barbara Boyle and Francis Dole, championed the project. Orion chief Mike Metavoy agreed to distribute the movie, but only if they could secure financing elsewhere. Early on, Cameron had already selected his Terminator. During his brief time on Piranha 2, he had befriended star Lance Henriksen and asked him to play the title role, even using the actor's likeness for concept art. Cameron initially pictured his cyborg killer as lean and average-looking, yet secretly dangerous, as befitting an infiltration unit. 
When it came time to approach Hemdale Film Corporation for funding, Cameron sent Henriksen to the office dressed in a leather coat and boots with metal teeth and makeup gashes on his face. After Henriksen kicked in the door and sat staring wordlessly for several minutes, Cameron entered and delivered his enthusiastic pitch to the company executive. The combination worked, and by late 1982, Cameron had six million bucks to make his vision a reality. Of course, as we all know, Henriksen would not get to play the Terminator. Mike Medavoy had become fascinated by bodybuilder-turned-actor Arnold Schwarzenegger and wanted him for the movie, but in the role of time-tossed soldier Kyle Reese, Medavoy thought the Terminator should be played by O.J. Simpson. Cameron could not picture Simpson as a stone-cold killer, at that time anyway, but he agreed to have lunch with Schwarzenegger out of courtesy, with every intention of sabotaging the meeting and claiming creative differences. As Cameron told his roommates before the meeting, I'm going to pick a fight with Conan. But instead, the pair hit it off, finding they had a surprising amount in common. Schwarzenegger, so early in his film career, was initially hesitant to take a villain role with a mere 17 lines of dialogue. But by the next day, he was committed to targeting Sarah Connor for termination. Cameron didn't need to change his script or storyboards, but his villain had suddenly gone from an ordinary, unassuming figure to a menacing murder machine. The filmmaker even thought Schwarzenegger's thick Austrian accent was beneficial, saying it had a strange synthesized quality. To play Kyle Reese, Cameron thought about the police frontman Sting for the role. And according to Cameron, the musician was interested but changed his mind when he learned of the director's association with Piranha 2. Christopher Reeve was briefly considered, but his $1 million asking price was well outside the boundaries of the small budget. The part ultimately went to Michael Bean, who had impressed the filmmaker with the intensity of his psychotic stalker from the 1981 thriller The Fan. Despite Bean's convincing audition for Reese, Cameron was concerned about his southern accent. It turned out the actor had spent that morning auditioning for a theater production of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof and had subconsciously retained his drawl. When he returned for a second reading, free of accent, the part was his. Among those who auditioned for the movie's reluctant young heroine, Sarah Connor, were Jennifer Jason Leigh, Rosanna Arquette, and Leah Thompson. But Cameron and Heard settled on little-known TV actress Linda Hamilton, who they felt best captured both the character's vulnerability and strength. While it seems unfathomable now, Hamilton and Bean were skeptical about co-starring with a man known mostly for his Mr. Olympia record, but Schwarzenegger's commitment to weapon training and robotic movement convinced them of the movie's potential. Cameron had his cast in place, including a different role for Lance Henriksen, and he was prepping to film. Unfortunately, he also suddenly had a lot of unexpected free time when producer Dino De Laurentiis decided to tie up Schwarzenegger with a contractually obligated sequel to Conan the Barbarian. With very little money in his pockets and several months before his hulking star could trade his Atlantean sword for a plethora of firearms, Cameron circulated his Terminator script, hoping to land a writing assignment, and he unintentionally found himself with an embarrassment of riches. Producers David Geiler and Walter Hill hired him to write a sequel to Alien. The very same day, he landed an opportunity to write Rambo First Blood Part 2. In a panic, Cameron called Geiler asking for advice, and the producer bluntly told him, drink a lot of fucking coffee and do them both. And over just a few short months, that's exactly what Cameron did, along with simultaneously rewriting The Terminator and creating additional concept art and storyboards. His script for Rambo would later be drastically rewritten by star Sylvester Stallone. And although he didn't have time to complete his draft of Aliens, the producers and studio were so thrilled with what he had done, they decided to wait until after the Terminator to let him finish the script and potentially direct the Alien sequel. But that's a what the fuck episode for another day. 
to achieve the Terminator's ambitious robot effects. Heard and Cameron, along with the investors, wanted legendary makeup artist Dick Smith. But Smith didn't think he could accomplish the effects, and instead suggested a friend named Stan Winston, who he said was good with robots. Cameron bonded with Winston from the beginning, forming a collaboration that would last 25 years until Winston's death in 2008. Cameron was determined not to have the skinless version of his lethal robot played by a man in a suit, and Winston's small team spent six months constructing the metallic endoskeleton puppets, including a torso that could be worn on the back of a crew member. The team also fabricated a full-size reproduction of Schwarzenegger's head for the bathroom mirror eyeball removal scene. Shooting on the Terminator began in early 1984, but even that didn't start smoothly. Linda Hamilton badly sprained her ankle just before filming, necessitating a complete change to the schedule so her action scenes could wait until later in the production. With her ankle wrapped, she was in agony for most of the movie, but there would also be plenty of other suffering to go around during the grueling shoot. To keep costs down, most of the movie would be filmed at night, making it a frantic race against the clock to capture footage before the sun rose every day. On many occasions, Cameron and the crew rushed through scenes because they didn't actually have permits to film. With the constraints of time and budget, Cameron searched for areas with mercury vapor lamps to utilize the city's existing lighting, a source of torment for cinematographer Adam Greenberg, who nonetheless reunited with Cameron for the far better funded and equipped Terminator 2. Besides the practical endoskeleton and makeup effects, Cameron employed everything in his economical Roger Corman toolbox to achieve his sci-fi thrills. Forced perspective, stop motion, high-speed cameras, compositing, front projection, rear projection, and miniatures both small and large, some of which provided challenges that were appropriately small and large. For example, in the post-apocalypse sequence, the explosive canister used to demolish a hunter-killer tank was actually only about two inches big and took dozens of attempts to get the tiny prop to land perfectly under the rolling treads. On the other end of the size spectrum, for the movie's climactic fuel truck explosion, Cameron had initially wanted to blow up a real vehicle on the street, but unfortunately he had already captured the footage of the chase and burning wreckage near the police armory in downtown LA, and a giant fireball in such close proximity to ammunition and fuel could be catastrophic. So a miniature version of the street and tanker were constructed in a Burbank parking lot. But when the first attempted detonation went wrong, the effects crew had only two days to build another entire truck model from scratch, just to blow it up all over again. In addition to the hectic night shoot and effects challenges, many of the cast and crew endured various other kinds of punishment. Cameron set Schwarzenegger's arm on fire for the alley scene, and put acid on his jacket and hairpiece to achieve the smoking effect. A Stan Winston crew member was controlling the endoskeleton puppet head by hand as Michael Bean continually whacked it with a prop pipe, leading to an injury that later prompted a Christmas card from Cameron saying, Merry Christmas, hope the feeling comes back to your fingers someday. When Sarah and Reese emerge from hiding after the police station attack, they step out into a lovely morning mist that is actually lingering clouds of harmful insecticide that had been sprayed in the Los Angeles area to combat a major bug problem. Linda Hamilton was pounded and prodded so much that by the time she got accidentally jabbed in the throat with the Terminator's thrusting metal arm, she started to wonder if Cameron was secretly rooting for the machines. Her opening scenes of the movie were shot near the end of filming, by which point she had so many scrapes and bruises that she had to spend hours getting them covered with makeup. Even after principal photography had wrapped and post-production began, Cameron and a skeleton crew had to make a mad dash for inserts and pickups and stolen shots, including Schwarzenegger busting into a vehicle in broad daylight before anyone in the suburban neighborhood could call the cops. 
The final scene of the movie, filmed on a remote desert road and composited with a matte painting of the ominous sky, nearly landed them in trouble with a highway patrolman looking for a permit. But Cameron and Hurd got off the hook by pretending they were making a UCLA student film. Composer Brad Fidel put together the entire unforgettable synthesizer score in his garage, adjusting as needed as Cameron scrambled to deliver new footage to him each day. Cameron had somehow found time during the shoot to assemble rough cut scenes to show his lead actors, and the more they saw, the more energized they became and believed all the pain would be worth it. But even as they had become confident in the final product, unfortunately the same could not be said of the studio. Cameron showed a rough cut to Orion executives in the summer of 1984 and described the screening as disastrous. The studio that had just released the acclaimed historical drama Amadeus did not have quite the same faith in a low-budget sci-fi movie starring a bodybuilder. Orion's chairman reportedly told Barbara Boyle, You made exactly what I was afraid you'd make, an exploitation picture in the Corman style. The distributor was so hesitant they dialed back the marketing plans and cancelled promotional appearances for the cast. They didn't even want to screen the movie for critics, but talent agents who were able to see it and loved it called the studio and pressured them to get behind it, while Heard grappled with the executives over the marketing. The Terminator materialized in theaters on October 26, 1984, and opened in first place against Brian De Palma's Body Double and Universal's horror compilation Terror in the Isles. Critics praised the sci-fi thrills, sly humor, and clever special effects. The movie finished with almost $40 million domestic and nearly $80 million worldwide, although the filmmakers speculated that it would have easily passed $100 million if the studio had properly supported and advertised it. Even after completing the movie and getting it into theaters, the problems were not over. Science fiction author Harlan Ellison filed a lawsuit claiming the movie ripped off Soldier, an episode of The Outer Limits he had written about two futuristic infantrymen thrown back in time. Despite Cameron's objections, Orion just wanted to avoid a lawsuit and settled with the writer for an undisclosed sum and an acknowledgement in the end credits. Cameron later described Ellison as, quote, a parasite who can kiss my ass. While The Terminator had been successful at the box office, particularly in relation to its budget, it didn't even make the top 20 for 1984, landing far behind movies like The Karate Kid, Gremlins, Beverly Hills Cop, and Ghostbusters. It was the expansion of VCRs into homes during the mid-1980s that turned it into one of the most rented movies at the time, and increased its awareness along with demands for a sequel. And well, we all know what happened then. After all its struggles, The Terminator became a sci-fi classic, influencing countless movies and filmmakers to follow, and launching a lucrative franchise of sequels, comics, video games, and toys. Arnold Schwarzenegger became one of the biggest stars in the world, reuniting with James Cameron and Linda Hamilton for the 1991 sequel Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which further advanced computer-generated imagery and redefined the summer blockbuster. Cameron continued to make increasingly ambitious and expensive movies, engineering new filmmaking technologies and shattering box office records. And it all began with the challenges of a passion project born of a fever dream during his fledgling low-budget movie career. Much like his relentless robotic killing machine and the heroine in its sights, James Cameron had altered the future. Let us know your thoughts. Leave a comment in the comments. And thanks for watching.